Jesus, we are so thankful to be here this morning. Lord, I'm thankful for our church family. I'm thankful for, for visitors being here this morning. I'm thankful for all of us who, who have come here ordained for this day. Yes, this might be routine for some of us. Yes, this might be something that, that we do uh, because we are committed to this life, the life of this church. And some might have come just, just by chance because someone gave them an invitation. But we believe we're all here, ordained to be here this morning because you have something for each of us. And Lord, we want to hear your word in a way that not only that we learn, but in a way that we actually want to act on what we hear. So Jesus, we pray that by your spirit, we will be faithful to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we started a series called All In. Can you say all in? Uh, look at someone next to you and ask them, are you all in? No. All, yeah. <laughs> say all, all in. Ezekiel just caught me off by surprise. He asked me if I was all in. I'm like, wait. <laughs> um, how many of you guys have ever seen World Series of Poker? Any of you ever watched that, right? I'm not encouraging gambling and you guys, you know, doing any, but if poker is a fun game, if you just play for chips, if you're playing for money, you might get in trouble. Uh, but there's a point in when you're playing poker that, that you feel like you have that strong hand, right? And you just feel like, hey, I'm all in. And you just take all of your chips and you put them to the center. And, it, and, and you'll, if you ever watch the World Series of Poker, it's like a tense moment. Like, I mean, even now it's all like, you know, hyped up on TV because you know the music comes in and then like the spotlight goes on the tv and the guys go all in and then they stand up because they're all sweating and they don't know if their if their hand is going to hold their weight you know and then there's times that guys go in all in and they have nothing they, they, they absolutely have nothing they've been bluffing and there's something inside of them that's like i'm gonna try to to scare this guy out of his all in and i, and I want to tell you guys something I really believe that that's the enemy's hand. The enemy has nothing. And he's been bluffing against saints, saints for all eternity since mankind. He has been bluffing and trying to scare us from going all in with his fake hand. And I'm telling you, in this season... We are going to have to begin to discern and identify that this bluffer of an enemy has nothing against the king of glory. We get to go all in because Jesus went all in. The hand we're carrying is not a hand that we've devised and of our own making. This is a hand that Jesus has given us. I mean, if you've ever think, I mean, what's, what's the highest hand? Is that like a royal flush, right? That's got to be the highest hand, right? A, a royal straight flush. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, that, that, that is, is the highest hand you can have. And this is what we have from our king. We're holding that hand. And man, I think we, we need to be brave enough to play it. There's, there's a man um, by the name of A.W. Mills. Milne, M-I-L-N-E. We, we might have a picture. I don't know if we do. Um, so Mill, listen, was, was considered a one-way missionary. Can you say one-way missionary? He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing, listen to this, friends, full well that the headhunters who had lived there had martyred every missionary before him. So this is in the, in the late 1700s into the 1800s. He is considered a one-way missionary because he knew 
that when he, after he set sail, that he was not coming back. For 35 years, he lived amongst that tribe, and listen to this, friends, and he loved them. And when he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village, and they inscribed this epitaph on, on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. And you want to talk about an all in saint. You want to talk about someone who was willing to go all in for Jesus. See, there was during this time, there was a, a, a plethora of men and women who were called one way missionaries. Because they took the Great Commission, literally, that they would go into all nations, all people groups. And most of them knew that they wouldn't come back. When do we start believing that God wanted to send us to safe places to do easy things? I mean, I really want us to think about that. When do we start believing that God wanted to send us into safe places to do easy things? Mark Battison wrote this. Faithfulness is not holding down the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. Jesus didn't die to make us safe. He died to make us dangerous. I want us to think about that. I want us to really think about this Christian walk that we are, are, are architecting for ourselves. And I really think that, that, that that's, that's even something I, I wouldn't want us to believe, that we are architecting this Christian walk for ourselves to be safe and comfortable. Last time I checked in scripture, scripture says that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the architect of this walk that he has called us into. When did being a Christian or when did the Christian life, listen friends, become the safe choice? You see, in this, in this political climate even, we're, we're wanting the government to approve of the church so that being a Christian in today's world will be the safe choice. That's never been throughout history that being a Christian was a safe choice. And it's never been that we needed the politicians' help to be Christians. Christ and Christ alone. I believe many of us started buying into this, this safe Christianity because I believe it started with the American dream. I believe we begin to intertwine the American dream with our spiritual walk. Somehow we've spiritualized the American dream and we have made it our life's mission. Think about this. This is what the Declaration of Independence says. This is where we get this ideology from. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a well-known phrase inscribed on our, on our, um, in, in the Declaration of Independence. The phrase gives three examples of, listen to this, friends, unalienable rights. This is, what, this is what the Declaration of Independence writes. They're unalienable, which means no one can infringe on these rights. No one. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then the Declaration of Independence says this. They have been given to all humans. Can you say all humans? By their creator. By their creator. This is what the Declaration of Independence says. And although I believe that there were men of God who were, who were writing this Declaration of Independence, the Declaration of Independence is not the Bible. 
Because if the Declaration of Independence was a Bible, then if we read for all human beings by their creator, we wouldn't be suffering the things that we're seeing in the world today. given to all humans by the creator, and listen, by which the governments are created to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let me tell you, friends, outside of Christ is a trap. Outside of Christ, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is a trap. It's a trap of comfort. It's a trap of carnality. It's a trap of complacency. It's a trap of compromise. It's a trap contrary to scriptures. The teachings, and listen to this, friends, please hear me, and the life of Jesus. When A.W. Milne, this man, this one-way missionary, set sail on his one-way mission, listen to this, friends. He packed all of his personal belongings in a coffin because he knew that he wasn't coming back. A.W. Milne was all in. I want us to look at the life of Jesus this morning. I want us to just think, if you guys want to just close your eyes for a second, just for a second, just close your eyes. I want to try to get you to to see this picture. At some point in our eternal history, God the Father turned to his son and he gave him orders for a one-way rescue mission. Can you picture the throne room? Can you picture the God of heaven enthroned in glory with angels surrounding it? And as he is sitting next to to Jesus, the son, with a glance, Jesus knew what the father required of him. Jesus knew what the father required of him. There was no hesitance. There was no questions. It was going to cost him everything, everything. And listen to this, friends. With a return glance, Abba Father knew that his son was all in. Jesus was all in. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to John 1. John 1 gives us this, this, this beginning of eternity picture. And, and, and it says this, you guys should probably know this, we, we reference this portion of scripture quite a bit in this church. And it says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was what? The was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. We know that Jesus Christ is the living word. So you can read this verse. In the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. Listen to me, friends. All things came into being through him. Through who? Through Jesus. All things came into being through Jesus. We were created through Jesus. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Each and every one of us here this morning, every person outside of these four walls came into being by the person of Jesus. The son of the living God. And listen to this, friends. I'm reading this text because it's important. It's important that we, we, we have to know that before Jesus gave his life, he gave up his position, he gave up his rights, and he gave up his privileges. I want us to consider position. 
His position has been sealed in the ancient almanacs of Scripture. From Old Testament to New Testament, there is one common theme throughout that entire Bible, and it's a person, and his name is Jesus. He's the prince of heaven. He's a recognized son of God. Jesus not only had every right, he had all rights because of who he was. I want us to consider rights. A legal entitlement. That's what rights are. A legal entitlement. He was heir to the throne of heaven. Scripture says that we are co-heirs with Christ. And so we know that because he is the heir, he has actually shared his inheritance with us and he gave them up. And we see privilege. Can you guys say privilege? Man, we have all these talks around privilege today. White privilege and, and all the other privilege. My, my privilege as an American citizen. and All of these privileges. Most of them are used in negative connotations. But I'll, I want us to really think about what, how do we carry our religious privilege? How are we carrying that thing? Because look at Jesus. There was nothing the son of heaven was going to deny his father. Nothing. There was no privilege that he was not willing to lay down. God the father and Jesus, they were one. They were one. What belonged to the father, Jesus the son, has has complete access to and privy to. Whatever God had, Jesus had. And this is what Jesus said. I'm laying it down for you. Every privilege Jesus gave up. Every privilege was laid down by Jesus. If we turn to the book of Philippians, I want to read us a few verses there. An encouragement from the Apostle Paul says this to us in regards to our privilege, in regards to our rights, in regards to our position. Listen to this, friends. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this what? Attitude. So when, when I read that, I, I kind of read it as, all right, here, here's, here's a little attitude adjustment that each and every one of us is going to need. You can look at your neighbor and say, you have an attitude. <laughs> and it needs to be adjusted. Because if we don't have Christ's attitude, then our attitude, listen, friends, hear me, please, needs to be transformed. If we don't have Christ's attitude, then our attitude needs to change. How how many of you mothers love to use that? You better change your attitude. (laughs) The Apostle Paul is saying we need an attitude adjustment. Have this attitude in yourselves that Christ Jesus had. Listen to this, verse 6. Who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. How many of you have ever met someone who had a power trip? Like, you, 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 like, I mean, man, if someone who just gets promoted at work, right? Like they were your best friend and now they become your supervisor and the power trip kicks in, right? Like they got the badge now. Like, I'm, I'm the, did you see that? I'm the manager now. You see, like it carries a power trip. And this is what the apostle Paul says of Christ. There was no power trip. He didn't consider his title, his position of the son of the living God, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He who created all things 
as something to be held on to. He didn't carry a badge around reminding everybody, do you know who I am? He laid all of that down. Verse 7 says, he emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And this is what this means. The creator became creation. Can you imagine, friends, honestly, have you ever seen uh, like those shows like Boss for the Day? Or like one of the employees gets to be the boss and, you know, you get to see what happens. Have any of your parents ever played that with your kids? Like you get to be mom and dad for the day then. That's dangerous. That's dangerous, right? It's more dangerous for us because we lower ourselves to a place of being subjected to someone who has been subjected to us. Think of what Christ did. He lowered himself to the place of a bond service. Some of our versions would say slave. And the creator became created. Can you imagine what war reversal would have taken place in the slave days? A slave given the opportunity to be in charge of his master. This is what Jesus has done. He put himself in the position of a slave. Emptied himself by taking up his form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of man. Listen, friends, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Can you say obedient? Obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. And that, that phrase death on a cross means this, a criminal's death. You didn't die on a cross unless you were a criminal. The Romans didn't crucify anyone that was not a criminal. It wasn't a religious, if he would have strictly been, been uh, convicted of his religious crimes and he would have been stoned by, by the religious authorities of the time. He was given a criminal's death, death on a cross. I have these questions, they're rhetorical. I wonder what positions we're clinging to that get in the way of our all in. What positions in our lives are we clinging to that get in the way of our all in? I wonder what privileges and comforts we're clinging to that get in the way of our all in. And lastly, I wonder what rights, because we all love our rights. What rights we are clinging to that are getting in the way of our all in. All in for Jesus, friends, looks like something. All in for Jesus is, is, is a radical thought. It, it, I mean, just think about radical. That, that word radical, I mean, it used to be kind of like more like a skater's and a surfer's word. Um, but the, the definition of radical is pretty cool. It means to, to, to go back to a starting point. It's the same word for Revolution. That word revolution, where you actually go back to where you started. You go back to a starting point. And when you become revolutionary in the kingdom, when you become radical in the kingdom, you go back to the way it was supposed to be. And the way it was supposed to be is what we see in scripture because we see radical men and women doing radical things for God. And we see a world being radically transformed. That's what all in looks like. Becoming like Christ means we pattern our lives after Jesus' life. That's radical. 
We do what he did. What he said, we will say. Where, where he went, we will go. What he sacrificed, we will sacrifice. Wait, did I read that right? Oh, yeah. And what he suffered, we will suffer. You see, the American dream it dry, flies in direct contrast to that. The life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness, that doesn't include sacrifice. That doesn't include suffering. I mean, it's comfort. Like, right, it's my white picket fence and my, and my, and my, and my nice car and my 2.7 kids. If you have 0.7 kids, I want to see that kid. The American dream, it, it, it's this life in, in, in a bubble that we don't experience the hardships of the world. And I'm telling you, it's a fallacy that we have fallen for. That's not all in. Romans chapter 9 Reads like this. I know I'm giving you a lot of verses. Hopefully you guys will follow from, from the top. Romans chapter 9 verse 28 says this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. God causes what? All things to work for good for those who what? Who love God. Is it there? Oh, it's not up there. Sorry. For those who love God. And to those who are called according to his purpose. So when we enter this all in life, we know that God is going to work all things for the good for those who love him and those who've been called according to his purpose. Listen to this. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. You see, our all in means we are starting to look more like Jesus. Our all in means this is who Jesus was. That's who I want to be. So when I, when I, obviously when I was growing up a little younger in the 80s, you guys might know all this, this little channel, but everyone wanted to be like Mike. If you don't know what that means, then you don't know who Michael Jordan is. And if you don't know who Michael Jordan is, our ushers are waiting to let, escort you out the room. <laughs> there was even a song that was made, I want to be like Mike. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Michael Jordan, he was, he was, he was a god on the basketball courts. Everyone had the t-shirt. Everyone was wearing the J's. I mean, it was just what they did. When did we stop being the people who wanted to be like Jesus? When, when, when did we start exchanging the dream that was for the children of God, architect by the Father of Heaven, and start buying into another dream, a counterfeit dream, We are becoming conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Do you hear that? We're being conformed to his image so that we can be considered sons and daughters of God. And these whom he predestined, he also called. So you're called, you're predestined, you're called. And those whom he called, he has justified. You've been justified. And if you don't know that word justified, it, 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 we get justice from there. But I, I like this kind of thing. I, I forget who says it. If I can remember, I'll let you know. But that word justified means that you're a sinner and you're guilty. But because God loved you so much and Jesus paid the price for you, it's justified, never committed a sin ever. You've been justified by Jesus. And these whom he justified, listen to this, he also glorified. Man. We're trying to glorify ourselves. We're trying to create a pathway for our own dream and for our own life. And God is saying, I have so much more for you. 
And I don't know about you, but I, I, I would prefer to be glorified than, by Jesus than to be glorified by myself. God has given us a blueprint for victory. A blueprint for victory. And that's to become more like Jesus. Listen to this. But the road for victory, hear me, friends, is marked with suffering. It's marked with suffering. And this world and this culture that we are part of is telling us, do everything that you can not to suffer. Do everything that you can to play it safe. Do everything that you can to protect your kids from experiencing any kind of hardship in their life. Verse 31 of that same chapter says this, What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who shall be against us? So what do we say about these things? If we're to be more like Christ, if, we're, if God did not even spare his own son, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all, how, spared him for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God didn't spare his son, what do we think the blueprint for our life is going to be? If the life of Jesus, the firstborn son, was required of him, how could we ever fathom that our lives wouldn't be required of us? It's a serious question. If Jesus' life was required of him, how is it that we think that our life is not going to be required of us? And yes, Jesus died to save you of your sins and in eternity separated from God. But we have somehow equated that to being that we are never going to have to suffer here on earth. Christ's life alone, listen to me friends, Christ's life alone supports the doctrines of suffering. And everything we're hearing today in popular church and popular church podcasts, popular church radio, is that, is that um, prosperous gospel is saying, if you just love Jesus, your whole world is going to be awesome. You're never going to experience suffering. Your life is going to be absolutely awesome. Just come to Jesus. And it's contrary to the life of Jesus. His life alone lays foundations for the doctrines of suffering in our lives. I want us to consider the ministry of Jesus. And I want us to ask this. When you read scripture and when we read people encounter Jesus, when did Jesus not require the individuals all? When did Jesus not require the individuals all? Listen to this. When Jesus called the disciples in Matthew chapter 4 verse 9, what did he say? He said, drop your nets and come and follow me. What did that mean to drop your nets? This is what he was saying. Leave your career and in your entire identity and come follow me. You see, men in, in those cultures, they were defined by what they did. These were fishermen. Fishermen, were, 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 it, was, it was who they were. Their fathers were fishermen and their father's fathers were fishermen. And so they probably come from a long line of fishermen. And Jesus said, drop the identity and come and follow me. It was their livelihood. When he encountered the rich young ruler, you guys know the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler said, Jesus, I have come up, kept all of the commandments that you have commanded. Everything. I've kept it since I was a child. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? 
And this is what Jesus said. Go and sell everything you have. Go and sell everything you have and come and follow me. Everything. The Bible says that the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions. We don't see Jesus asked out of everyone. But it was what was asked of that man. I really believe for a lot of us, it comes down to one thing. It's one thing. It's, it's, it's this one thing that Jesus is requiring. It's that one thing that we're holding on and we don't want to let go of. He's going to require it. That one thing that you're trying to, you know, which hands it in, God? That's the one he wants. That's the one he's going to require. That one you really want to hold on to? That's what he's going to ask you for. When the crowds begin to get large... And the, and, 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 the, and, the, and the multitudes begin to, to be in awe of who Jesus was. And they just, they just wanted to you know, kind of be looky-loos on what Jesus was doing. This is what Jesus said to them. Who just wanted to be the crowd. Who just wanted to be around when he did a miracle. Or just wanted to be around when, when he preached something awesome. Or, 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 or experienced what was happening around. You see, because there was true followers that were in his inner circle. But then there began to be multitudes. And when the multitudes would gather, this is what Jesus said in Matthew 16. If anyone wants to come after me or anyone wants to be my follower, you must deny himself. Must do what? Deny himself. Secondly, take up his cross. And thirdly, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. We've boiled that down to just a verse that we know. But I'm telling you, if you and I would just walk out this verse in our life, we would see the miraculous take place in our world. If we would just deny ourselves, if we would take up our cross and we would follow Jesus. Man, most of us, we, we, we put the gospel in, a, in, in the John 3.16 like pocket sized message. This is the message of discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Matthew 16, 25 says this, For whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, for my sake, will find it. Some of us, Need to tell our old self to get lost. Some of us need to give our old self a one-way ticket to Lostville. We rely on that old self to dictate who we are and where we're going. And Jesus is saying, give up your life. It's the only way to find it. So what are we holding on to? What's, what's getting in the way of our all in? So I, I know what it is for me and only you can divine for you what it is for you. And I know we like to look at other people and we can determine, hey, well, I know what their all in is. I know what's holding them back. What's holding us back? What's holding me back from my all in for Jesus? Some examples, it could be, it could be the American dream. That's just something I've talked about. I'm, I don't, I'm not believing that everyone's sold out on the American dream. Listen to me, friends. Jesus wants you to have good things. I do believe 
that God doesn't want you to be living in poverty. I do believe that God doesn't want you to be living uh, paycheck to paycheck. I do believe that God wants to bless you and prosper you. Absolutely, I believe that. But not at the sake of the gospel. Not at the sake of you being all in for him. Because if you're not all in for him, but you're all in for your American dream, God is going to require your American dream. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness without Jesus is a trap. Only Jesus has true life. Only Jesus can bring true liberty. And our pursuit of happiness needs to be exchanged for the pursuit of Jesus. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these things will be added unto you. So here it is. If you want the American dream to be realized in your life, chase after Jesus. And it's not going to be an American dream. It's going to be a kingdom dream. Is it sin this morning? Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. Sin is not going to lead to life. It's not going to. And I'm not going to sit up here and, and, and tell you that sin's not fun. Because we know it is. It feeds our flesh. It, it, it's instant gratification. But all that Jesus said when he was on earth is stop looking at the temporal and start looking at the eternal. You're, we're looking at our finite lives here on earth and we're forgetting about the eternity afterward. Sin leads to death. We're trying to get the instant gratification now. And I'm telling you, it could be at the expense of heaven. Momentary gratification can cost us our eternity. What's holding you back? What's stopping you from getting your all in? Is it your pride? Listen, friends, James 4, 6 says this, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud. God is opposed to who? To the proud. Another version would say that God actively opposes the proud. And I don't know about you, but I have enough opposition in my life than to have the God of heaven opposing me because of my pride. God opposes the proud. But listen to this. But he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And when you and I choose to walk in humility, when it comes to this life that God's called us to, we are taking on the person of Jesus. On the contrary, when we choose to walk in pride and believe that we can navigate through this thing on our own without the help of God, we're taking on the character of someone completely different. The father of pride goes by the name of Lucifer. And when Lucifer was an archangel, he came to a place in his being and he said this, I will make myself like the most high. I will make myself like the most high. And I know that none of us would ever like to think that we've taken on the characteristics of Lucifer. But I'm telling you, many of us have been playing God with our own lives. I will make this life the way I want it to be. Luke chapter 18 says this. 
And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left his house or his wife or his brother or his parents or his children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much as this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now, I got to give you a big disclaimer about this verse, because I think some of us can read this with very immature eyes and be like, Jesus saying, I got to leave my wife and my kids. Absolutely not. But this is what it looked like culturally for the Christians in Jesus's day. If someone gave their life to Jesus and committed themselves to the teachings of Christ and become a follower of Christ, they were cut off culturally from who they were before that. You see, the Jews were a theocracy. The way the Jews kind of drafted their whole entire culture was based on their religious practices when, as they worshipped Yahweh. And these religious practices that they practiced were interwoven into every fabric of their life. It, it, it affected their marriage and their parenting and all of those things. And when Jesus, the true Messiah, came and revealed himself to the Jewish people, they rejected him. They didn't recognize that he was, was the Messiah that had been promised for centuries and centuries. But those who choose to believe, those who chose to believe and to lay down their lives for Jesus, they were cut off. They were cut off from their culture. They were cut off from their families. When they would walk into the synagogue, the, 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 the entire room would stop and gasp and be like... This is one of those followers of Jesus. What are they doing in here? This is what it meant to follow Jesus in the first century. Can you imagine? Some of us might, might be able to identify with this. Many, many who converted out of Catholicism into Christianity have been treated like this. Oh, you're a Christian now. Oh, you're a hallelujah now. This is what it means to be all in. No, God is never going to ask you to leave your wife and to abandon your children. But even if your wife and your children do not come along for the ride, you must follow Jesus. Even if your husband refuses to chase after Jesus, you must follow Jesus. Even if your children refuse to follow after Jesus, you must follow Jesus. Even if your parents refuse to follow after Jesus, you must follow Jesus. Even if your boyfriend, your girlfriend refuse to follow Jesus, you must follow Jesus. This is what all in is. One of the most significant all in moments in scripture is found in Matthew chapter 26. I want to read it. And then land this message this morning. Verse 36 says this. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, that he took them with him and began to be grieved and distressed. Jesus began to be what? Grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. 
And he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and praying, saying, my father. What did he pray? My father, listen, friends, if it is possible. If it is possible. Let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. If you don't know what portion of scripture we've landed in right here, it's this. Jesus knows he's about to go to the cross. Jesus knows that he's about to experience a torture that probably no man on the planet had ever experienced before. He was not only going to be tortured and beaten, but he was eventually going to be crucified and stabbed. And knowing this as the son of God, he goes to his father, the only person that he can go to being the son of God. He goes to his father and listen, distressed and grieved because we have to understand this, this doctrine. He was fully God, yet he was fully man. And he asked God, knowing full well that this was plan A. There was no plan B. And yet Jesus, the son, goes to the father and he says, if there is another way, father, let this cup pass from me. But then he says this. And this is one of those all in moments that we have to capture in our lives, friends. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. You see, Jesus, the son, remembers that time when he was in glory with the father and the father looked across to him and he said, son, we're going to have to do something about that. I'm going to have to send you on a one way mission. And you're going to have to suffer many sufferings on behalf of our creation. And it's not going to be easy. And there's going to be a point in history when I'm going to have to turn my face from you. And Jesus going to the cross, I have to believe theologically, was dreading the fact that he was for the first time in eternity going to be separated from his father. And he said, Lord, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. You see, friends, that's all in. I might not like it. I might not want it. I might be dreading what is lying ahead of me. But it's not about me. It's about my father. And he went a little beyond them and he, and he fell on his face. I'm sorry. Yeah. Where am I at? 40. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Can you say sleeping? And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Jesus is giving us right here a pattern. The only way we are going to be able to go all in is by the spirit, not by the flesh. We have to tap into our spirit, man. 
He went away again a second time praying, saying, Father, if this cup can pass from me, unless I drink from it, or if this cup can pass away, unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again, he came and he found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy and he left them again. This is a third time, friends. And he went away and he prayed a third time saying the same thing once more. He was pleading with the father in his, in his natural as a man, Lord, if there's another way, there is another way. But there is only one plan A. And this is what it takes when it comes to, to being all in, friends. We have to eliminate all other plan Bs. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let's go. Behold, the one who betrays me is near. I just want to tell us this, friends. While the Lamb of God was going all in, his followers were falling asleep. And we can look at that and be like, what's wrong with those guys? But I want to tell us now, the saddest truth about today is after knowing Jesus gave his all to the point of death, many followers are still falling asleep. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in, in, in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. Can you imagine what our life would look like if we began to live out this verse? I've been crucified with Christ. My all-in moment has already been sealed. There's nothing that I'm not willing to suffer on his behalf. This is where the Apostle Paul got in his life. I've been crucified with Christ. The all-in life has to be, be compelled by love, though, friends. Listen to this. I have, being compelled by love means I have volunteered to be crucified with Christ because he loved me and he gave himself for me. It's like the military. I mean, we, we think we're going through hell when you're going through all the training and all that stuff. And then you remembered, I volunteered for this. I volunteered for this. And why did I volunteer for this? And for most servicemen or for, for guys in the military, it's because they love their country. Friends, when we get in the thick of it for Jesus, we have to remember that we volunteered for this. And we do this for the love of Christ. For the love of Jesus. The all-in life starts with surrender. And listen to this, friends. And the all-in life is executed through obedience. Jesus came to the Father and he said, Lord, if there's any way this cup could pass from me, but nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And to the point of obedience, right after he prayed that prayer, Judas came, kissed him on his cheek. He was arrested and he was ushered into a suffering never known to man before on this planet. We're to be Christ-like. If that means suffering, like A.W. Milne and all of those other one-way missionaries, if that means suffering, like every disciple that is named in the New Testament, outside of John the Beloved, who would give their lives for Jesus, how much more for us today? Does our all-in look like this? We surrender 
because Jesus surrendered his life and we sacrifice because that's the pattern that Jesus gave us saints. You guys mind standing with me this morning? This isn't one of those preaches that I can say, all right, how many of you need to suffer more? But kind of in the middle of this sermon, I asked us some questions. And I asked, what's holding us back from going all in? And I just want to ask you that again. And I know, as long as I've been walking with Jesus, that this is a process. That word sanctified means that not only has Jesus done a work in me, but he's doing a work in me. And I know sometimes the sin that entangles us and separates us from the Lord takes quite a while for the Lord to untangle and break that thing over our life. But I also know that by the power of the Spirit, it can happen in an instant. I don't know if this, if this statement is theologically correct, but hopefully you'll understand what I'm trying to say. The second greatest power on this earth is the power of choice. God Almighty, all-powerful, is more powerful than anything, but he has given mankind the power of choice. And I believe you can choose to be in all in today. I believe you can make that choice today, now. But I also know that some of us need to make a faith step. It's like getting into the ocean. And many of us torture ourselves by putting a foot in and then going knee deep and then going waist deep and then eventually we get brave enough to dive in. I believe some of us need to make us put our, put our foot in the water. Wherever you're at this morning, I think your all-in moment can start today. Not because of me and not because you're motivated by wise and persuasive words, but because you're responding to what Jesus has done for you. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life up for me. This is why we go all in. It's by him and for him. Man, church, you have no idea what's in store for you. We have no idea what's in store for us when we choose to live this way. Lord, you know our hearts this morning. Lord, you know everything that we are holding on to that sets itself up against us wholeheartedly surrendering to you. Lord, many of us, God, 
have surrendered to you in such a way that that sin is no longer entangling us. And, and, and it isn't the things of the world that are entangling us, but it's the fear of the more. Lord, for those here this morning, I just pray, God, for an extra measure of faith to step into that wholeheartedly. Lord, for those of us who who held on too tightly to that American dream and to the comforts of this world, Lord, I just pray that we, we, we surrender those things to you. We lay them at your feet, Lord. Our jobs and our homes and our cars, God. And, and, and Lord, I know you're not trying to take all of those things to, to punish us. But how much more could they be blessed if we just surrender them to you this morning? Lord, for those of us who have been entangled by sin, knowing that it is sin that separates us from you, Lord, I pray that we repent, that we no longer allow our our, our nature and our habits and and those, those desires that are contrary to your righteousness. Lord, I pray that we repent We ask forgiveness and we choose to turn towards you. Lord, may we seek you first in all things because we love you. And may we be daring enough to live sacrificial lives. Go into dangerous places and do dangerous things. May we be willing to pack our coffins for one-way trips. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, let's give Jesus praise this morning. Hey, we love you guys. Thank you guys so much for being here this morning. I want you to know that I understand this series is probably going to be really heavy for a lot of us. And I also understand that sometimes it takes, it's a process to allow God to do a work. I I can't hammer this down enough for you guys. It starts with a step. Whatever step that is, I encourage you to take it. Whatever it is, I encourage you to take it. You're going to see Jesus do some amazing things with your one step. With your one step. Hey, we love you. Can't wait to see you again. Please don't forget all that's happening. Our new website is going to be up on the 15th. That's tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. So I encourage you guys to go in it. Listen, if you do not follow us on social media, I would encourage you to to go and follow us on social media. Two reasons, two reasons. If you're not a social media person, I get it. You know, I'm not asking you to do something that you don't do. But if you are a social media person, go and check out our page, couple Facebook and Instagram. Secondly, go and like our pages because what that potentially might do is attract one of your friends to see what God is doing in this place. And we just never know what God can do with something like that. So go check out our page, go like our page, follow us, stay informed, stay connected, and we'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye.